0: Hello, and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Joey. I use he, him pronouns. On every episode of Affable Chat, we dive deep, as deep as we can, into something. Usually, we talk about movies, but today is an exception. Joining me today is not my good friend Benjamin, but a different Benjamin also from my life. This is my brother. Say hello.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. I use he, him pronouns too.
0: Ben has brought a book for us to talk about today. That book is called I'm Afraid of Men by Vivek Shreya. The genre is autobiographical persuasive pamphlet, which is a bit of a, because it's very short. (laughs) It's basically a pamphlet. Feels
1: like an alliteration.
0: It is. Normally we don't pronounce our pronouns on this podcast because I I like to think of myself as kind of an ethereal, genderless voice that's coming through you, talking to you about whatever I want to say uh but for the sake of this book i think it's important to say what our context is because this book is very much about someone's identity and this podcast will also be about our identity interacting with that
1: and the and the point of introducing yourself with the with pronouns is so that you can like normalize just asking people what their pronouns are So that when you're in a situation, if you're somebody who doesn't use the pronouns that people might expect you to use, or you're not sure if somebody uses the pronouns that you think they might, that way you can just, it's easy, just as a normal thing, like, hey, I'm Ben, I use he, him pronouns, and then the other person just feels like it's a natural thing just to introduce themselves and say what their pronouns are. So it's a normalization thing, too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's a really important thing to say. But it's also one of those things where it's like, it's awkward to do it even in this context because it's like, oh, we're talking about a trans person, so therefore I should say my pronouns. And it's kind of, it's an an outing technique as well, which, or it can be, um, even if it's done, you know, with good intentions. So it's not, again, not my intention. My intention is to normalize. So, right. Okay, so let's talk about what this book is about. This is a book about the author, Shreya's experience with men throughout her life. Vivek, or Vivek, Shreya grew up as a gay male, but later in life transitioned to female. She has always felt like an outsider, partly because of her gender expression and her sexual orientation, partly because of her brown skin. The book explores several very ordinary events that act as examples of how Shreya's fear of men has shaped her choices, her relationships, and her own identity. The book is split into three sections. An introduction, then a section called You, which talks about different men Shreya has interacted with. Some she has a crush on, some that bullied her, some that she just passed on in the street. The final section is called Me, and talks more about Shreya's healthy relationship with a man named Nick and her transition to female. At the end, she calls for change in the way we see each other and the way gender holds sway over our lives.
1: And my favorite part about the book is the uh, is that it has questions at the end of like each section of the book, and they're really questions that are supposed to like take it away from like it's no longer an autobiography; it's more like the reader has to answer these questions, really reflect on how how Shreya's experience is like our experience in our lives.
0: Right, and it's not really; I wouldn't really call this like an auto, like an autobiography. Really, it's more like a it's more autobiog biographical but it's not um,
1: it's an autobiographical persuasive pamphlet. that's right
0: it's it's very much a it's kind of like a thesis in a way it's and again it's like it's very short so it, it it but it doesn't really go into a lot of like her thought process or anything it just talks about kind of her experience briefly while she's transitioning but really in detail about different men that she's interacted with in her life so it it's not so much like oh this is how like this is my journey through transition as much as it is, this is my life experience through this very specific lens of how men, how men shaped my life basically.
1: Right. Yeah. It's definitely, it's like a, well, that's actually, I wanted to talk about the structure of the book and how Shreya structures the book. So it's, it starts out in the, like Joey said, it starts out with this section titled you. Well, before that, it starts out with, it starts out with an introduction. Right and then it has a section titled you, and then it has a section titled me. And the way I'm, I'm thinking about that is it's like these three phases of Shreya's life. One phase, the first phase is just when Shreya, like no, is just an introduction phase, like sh- she's a child, uh, she's just learning about herself and realizing things about herself, uh, like such as that she's attracted to men. And then the next section is this part of, called, titled you, where she has her life shaped by other people. The you it changes throughout this section to be people who have influenced her in her life. You are the person who influences her, who changes her. And it isn't until after her transition or during her transition really from male to female when she really starts to, to focus on on me, on herself. So that's when it changes to me uh, and she starts realizing like what she cares about herself and what she thinks about um, who she is.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this book in an overall section and then we'll uh we'll kind of dive into some of the deeper topics as well this is a very short book and it packs but it packs a huge punch it's very small unassuming it took me when um i actually picked it up at the bookstore it took me forever to find it because it was so nestled in between all these other bigger books i was like where is this thing and then i finally found it it's like this tiny tiny book it comes in this bright pink jacket my copy is only 85 pages long, and it's like—I mean—how big do you think this is? Like, you're good at me- uh, guessing measurements. <laughs> it's uh
1: its probably like six inches by, like a.
0: Uh, it's basically like a inches? note card. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's so it's so small, and it, honestly, it'll probably take you longer to listen to this podcast than it would to read it. Yeah, um, it's it's very short, and every and I actually read it twice before we did this, um, and both times, as soon as I picked it up, I couldn't put it down because it, it's it's captivating. And as soon as you get near the end, you're like, well, I might as well just finish it. Right. Um, yeah. It, again, I, I totally recommend it. It's, it's absolutely a, a wonderful read. Before we get too much further, though, I feel like I re- we got to talk about the title, though. So the title is I'm Afraid of Men. And it's kind of this bold stance. It's the kind of statement that would elicit a not all men uh, from some idiot, uh, internet weirdos. Uh, but I'm very hesitant to and I'm very hesitant to use I don't know. I don't know if
1: it's just the weirdos. I feel like everybody, you know? <laughs> I, I feel think, like you, you have this immediate reaction.
0: I think you're probably right. Maybe I'm being too flippant with that. I think there is this kind of visceral, like, well, you know, she's kind of talking about me, right? I'm afraid of men. Like, oh, wow. Like, you're taking this, you know, you're taking this huge stance. Like, all men are trash kind of thing. Like, it's like it seems like a bad t- like, Twitter take in a way.
1: Which I think that she makes a good, good case that that's exactly the prediction. That's how <laughs> she would predict you would react.
0: I think so, too. And I think... She actually, like, honestly, I think she makes a really good argument uh, for her fear of the concept of men and men's adherence to a very specific type of masculinity. And um, by the end, I not only understand her fear, but I realized that I'm also afraid. I'm also afraid of men. And I just didn't really think about it in the way that she had presented it, basically. It's one of those things that just seems so normal that you forget it's even there. And yet here I am, I'm a man, but I'm afraid of men. It like, it's just, it feels weird. The, uh, does that mean I'm afraid of myself? I don't, I don't know if that's exactly right. I'm afraid of what, how other men think of me. And I'm afraid of how other men see me and how I appear to them. And I think if I really want to get into it, I'm also afraid of how I perpetuate that fear, um, in other men and other people in general.
1: Right, yeah. We're all, we're all raised in this kind of society that sees men in a certain way. And I think like we have to think about gender as this social construct. And if we think about uh, men as a, as a type of gender. Then we think about how society views men and how society thinks men should act. Uh, and so Sherry trying to get us to analyze what society expects of us and how it constructs me- who men are how like all people who grow up as men are given these certain are like placed, these expectations are placed upon them. And some men really like lean into that and become that societal expectation. And for some people that's fine. And then for other people, uh, that's not what they want to be. Uh, especially when you really see that when you read Shreya's, the book that she's expected to be this certain way because she grows up as a man. Um, and, that doesn't, that's not really who she is.
0: Right. I think that's, I think that's such a interesting part of this whole discussion is masculinity has like this, it's a very strict box, you know, you have to be a very certain shape in order to fit through it. And there's this kind of game that we're all playing. We're all acting as if everyone has to fit into that mold. Right. And the closer you fit to that, the more perfect, I guess you are or the more manly you are and that's something that people see as desirable but it the whole concept is flawed because there's there are certain traits that we expect from men that are harmful to everyone including men right. and it and to it keep people to adhering to this thing or holding people to this standard really doesn't make any sense because it's not useful to anyone it only adheres to a certain type of person right and yet we all act as if that is how it should be. I think
1: it, I think that's a good time to, to go into the quote.
0: Okay.
2: I'm afraid of men because it was men that taught me to fear. My fear was so acute that it took almost two decades to undo the damage of rejecting my femininity to salvage and reclaim my girlhood. Even now, after coming out as a trans girl, I am more afraid than ever. This fear governs many of the choices I make. From the beginning of my day to the end.
1: So this quote, the reason I, I really think about this quote a lot is because uh, that very first part where she, where she says that she's afraid of men because it was men that taught her to fear. Yes, We kind of think like we have this like archetype of men who are like stoic and not afraid of, of anything. But in a way, men are, are also taught to be super defensive. Anything that challenges masculinity is in a way something that men need to challenge right away they need to to fight fight right
0: away i love the language she uses in the book and this this is the very first line and i think it actually has this double meaning to me um, because i'm afraid of men because it was men who taught me to fear because she's been afraid of like violence against her from men right as being a queer person but also men in her life who were meaning well taught her that she has to be afraid right and there's actually this uh, YouTube ch- uh, video that I watched earlier today that uh, interviewed uh, Shreya, and one of the things she said uh, was, "I would rather have been picked on at school for being myself than picked on at school for hiding myself." Right. She saw. She says, "Like we have to teach people how to not be afraid. We shouldn't scare people into being a certain way." Mm-hmm. Basically.
1: Yeah, and I think, and I think the thing is that men are so- taught to be afraid of people who are not masculine. Because on, on the cover of the book, it says, uh, I'm afraid of men, because that's the title of the book. But if then you flip it over to the back of the book and it says, men are afraid of me. And that's the kind of, one of the major themes of the book is that Shreya is talking about how she's afraid of men because she knows that men will react with fear to how she is. So the right. fact that she is, um, a person who was, born, who was born male, but doesn't act like a man, doesn't act like how men, they that men should act according to our societal expectations.
0: It's really interesting, I think, hearing from her perspective because she has this very unique look at the world, right? She's experienced what it's like to be a man and be persecuted and to be a woman and be persecuted, right? She kind of has this, she kind of straddles this line and can see, this one specific thing about our culture was such a clear eye, I think in a way that I had heard about, I guess, but never really internalized. It's something that I have the privilege as a white man to ignore basically. Um, and for her to put it on display like this is, I, I think the, the word that best describes this book is devastating. Um, there is this like palpable sadness to this book. It's very visceral and it's sort of haunting. You feel Shreya's loneliness and isolation. She does such a she does a really good job of putting you in the moment and understanding the complex emotions that come with living in her body and in her mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is a book that I think about a lot. She doesn't just share like her deep experiences in her life, but she really turns the focus back onto back onto the reader. Yeah, I think about my personal experiences because of how she writes the book. Like I. I started painting my nails a couple years ago and it was so interesting to me, especially after reading this book, to think about like how the people who reacted to that, the people who had like these like negative reactions to that almost, I think were entirely men. I can't think of a woman who reacted negatively to that. Hmm. They either just ignored it or said like, oh, that's nice. Um, but men, <laughs> but men were like, were always like, that's weird or something like that. Not all. I'm not saying always, always men were doing that sure i'm trying to think of the right word the right to say it. It's, it was all men who did that but not all men did that sure. is what i'm saying so right, right. and it's and so in the reason i think that is is because i was doing something that's not typically associated with masculinity and if i was able to get like elicit n- like negative comments just some comments just because i painted my nails i'm thinking like the rest of me is very masculine i think right there's other there's like i mean most of my features are masculine i fit with a lot of stereotypes of who a man is and so i'm wondering like if i you know tore down more of those things of, like if i wasn't if i had like long hair or something like that or i don't know i was I'm trying to think of other features that i could change you were
0: we wore makeup or something Or
1: yeah i wore makeup like if i had those things if i was already getting negative reactions just because of the color of my nails then i how much more like negative reaction would i get just because like if i added more features to
0: that i think that's that's such a good point and i think that's the thing that makes this book so visceral to me i think and i think probably to everyone is that there's this alternate reality it feels wrong to say it that way but there's this alternate world that people who share any of shreya's attributes live in if you're a woman if you're a trans person, if you're a gay person, you face these kinds of obstacles all the time, um, just like you were describing, right? Where it's something about you, whether you chose it to display it or not, that other people find, you know, fearful or are afraid of or or act in a way that feels hostile to you, right? And in some ways it is directly hostile. I mean, you see that all the time. But for white guys like us you don't really ever enter into that world until you do something like you just described and occasionally you catch a glimpse of it and it's i mean it's terrifying but when uh but you're like okay you know maybe that's just some people being weird you can always justify it in some way right but what shreya does at the very beginning of of the book is just go through some very normal events in her life and talks about um how they like all this decisions she's making because she's afraid of men. And I'm going to read you, a, or I'm going to play a quote for you uh, from that section.
2: I pay attention to the app to see which direction the Uber will arrive from, and I face the other way, so the driver won't be able to see me from afar and drive away, as some have done. As I wait, I blur my vision so that I don't notice strangers gawking at me as they walk by.
0: Before this, she's talking about how she won't go into the hallway unless there's nobody else in there. She talks about like how she gets in the elevator. She talks about how she goes to her set to play music. And she will she will not like ask for a sound check or anything um, because she's afraid of how people will react to her. And that fear is based on personal experience of people acting terrible toward her, right? It's all based in this real world that she's living in. When she displays it this way, it, it becomes clear that she's living in this different world than people like me. And that she's constantly on edge, constantly checking herself, right? And throughout the book, she's giving all these examples of how that's, that's, that's her constant life. And in fact, there's one example in particular where she finally feels like she can express herself. She's at the gay pride parade holding like a banner or something. And she she runs into a guy Who's walking across the street, and the guy screams at her, and in that moment she's brought back down to this world that she hates, where everyone is feels it feels like everyone is watching her, feels like everyone is trying to get her to uh, to conform, right? Right. Um, and she realizes in that moment that she that she had not felt that way, right, and it was unusual for her to, for her to not feel that way, right. I know, it, it I really like the way that she displays that it really makes my skin crawl basically yeah not because of the like like the way she's describing it but because it makes me realize of how much I'm missing
1: right I mean we i i I think about it all the time like um when I was in college I had a friend we were both white men and we would every Monday night at midnight we would walk down to the Harris Teeter um, and get muffins we called it muffin monday um and <laughs> classic i classic and it was college it, thing <laughs> it was at it was at midnight um so it was dark out and we were walking on like the sidewalks and like it was it's like it's not the area we were in was like it's not dangerous or anything but i was really thinking about i think about it all the time like that is something i never would have been able to do if i was not white or i was not um a man mm. like that's just, that would have been a um Walk of f- fear the whole time, exactly. Uh, and and I probably wouldn't have done it every every Monday because of the, how much I would have been afraid. And and it's a it's a valid fear. I mean, you can look at data and statistics and the if you're if you're trans, you are far more likely to get assaulted. And and if you're a woman, same uh, same thing. Um, than a man, you are much more likely to get assaulted than a man so it's it's not it's not just like, oh, I had these experiences. It's like your your fears are are backed up by by actual data. And so it's just kind of like you have to you have to be afraid if you are not uh, this like a, a white man, a white cis man mm-hmm. living in in society because the society is is structured in a way, it seems like to make you afraid, to make you not want to act this way.
0: right. And that's something that I think we're all that we're all complicit in, you know, even even Shreya in her own way, basically in her not directly necessarily. But we'll get to that in a second. The thing like the thing you're just describing, though, is like the definition of privilege. That, yeah. Like To me, it's privilege is being able to ignore this alternate world that other people live in saying like you shouldn't go be able to go down to get muffins. You know, isn't like saying that's unfair is the wrong conclusion to reach. Right. The conclusion is that we should, you should use that privilege to help other people, right? And maybe if muffins were something that was important to everyone, you could go get the muffins and everyone could enjoy them, you know, back at the dorm or whatever. Or you know, or it's something as simple as like maybe this should be something that everyone should be able to enjoy, right? That was something that was so clear to me after um, Ahmaud Arbery was killed when he was jogging. Is I love to run. I love running with you, and. It's such a healthy thing for me it's such a a good thing for my mental health it's something that i enjoy immensely and this idea that other people can't enjoy it the way i can is devastating to me it makes me it makes me really upset actually and i wish that like what i wish for is for to be able to create a world where everyone could go running or go jogging and not be afraid um and not be afraid of being assaulted or something it's crazy. I mean, uh, Runner's World has a, a couple of really good issues recently. One of them said that of eighty-four percent of the people they surveyed, who I guess subscribe to their new um, their magazine, who are women, have experienced some sort of sexual assault or some sort of harassment while running, which is insane. Eighty-four percent.
1: Yeah, and the conclusion you should reach isn't that women should stop running. Right. Uh, you we the that's the thing is like. Throughout all of this book and through when you're looking at this data, you shouldn't your conclusion shouldn't be, oh, they need to stop doing that. You know, it's like when someone wears a short skirt and you're like, Oh, that's gonna put them at higher risk. First of all, that's that's not true. The data doesn't show that what you wear has any influence on what on what crimes are committed against you. But also, why are you punishing that person for something that's somebody else's fault, you know? It's the, it's the fault of the men uh, who are doing this to somebody. It's the fault of the perpetrator. Why should we have to punish? Why should women have to suffer? Why should women not be allowed to go out at night because of something that's wrong with the men?
0: So what Shreya does in this book is she really pinpoints what, like, where this comes from, where this, like, this principle comes from. And she talks about, uh, she gives a bunch of examples, but I'm going to highlight a couple here. She has this experience in a gay club where, some, where she's dancing with her friends and somebody gropes her and she doesn't see who it is. They like disappear into the crowd or something. And I'm going to read uh, the quote from that uh, from after that, she describes that experience.
2: When I look at photos of myself from my late 20s on, I feel mournful about how much my body has been shaped by men. Through my interaction with you and my subsequent immersion into gay culture, I quickly learn that gay men will find me desirable only if I'm muscular. Simultaneously, I learned that it's partly my skinniness that makes me appear gay to straight men. In both instances, my thinness amplifies my femininity, which is consistently seen as a loathsome quality that needs to be eradicated.
0: Well, I mean, actually, okay, maybe I said this wrong. Maybe that's not where that quote's from.
1: What do you mean? That's 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 from when she's in the gay bar, yeah.
0: As, well, she, I think it's because she meets up with another, so they, they try to pair her up with another gay guy.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah yep 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 that's who the you
0: is in this one right so there's another one where she gets groped in the bar and then uh, well I'll, I'll get to that one so but this one in this one she's she gets set up with another uh gay man who's friends with one of her friends or something and they think that they're just going to get together basically there's kind of this expect she says there's this expectation that when gay men meet they eventually they'll have sex which is which she finds kind of like gross Right.
1: It's not is it like is just any two gay men that just interact. It's just like it's like, Oh, you're gay, they're gay, you know, what what else do you need? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it it's really that simple. (laughs) It's like uh, it's like in Minecraft, you know. You get two villagers together, you right?
1: Know? You just you gotta feed the <laughs> feed the wolves bones, right? And then, and
0: they... then they'll uh, they'll come together. It doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't even it doesn't even matter. Yeah, what they are.
0: Right. No no free will involved. <laughs> um, but she gives this example to show that like gay men are also perpetuating this kind of gender conformity that she's that she finds so oppressive.
1: This quote it says it mentions about how gay men will only find her attractive if she's uh, a muscular at this point shreya hasn't come out as trans i don't think she's even realized that she's that she's a woman yet um which i guess you know it's is she a woman at the whole the whole time or she become a woman is a whole debate within the lgbt not interested but uh at this time she's still identifying as a man and but obviously a gay man and obviously she still has these things that she likes about herself that are feminine um but she is told by other gay men that she will only be attractive to them if she is more masculine if she acts if she's muscular and if she doesn't like act gay um and so in that that end part where she says my thinness amplifies my femininity which is consistently seen as a loathsome quality that needs to be eradicated it's like in both the straight world she doesn't want to appear gay in the straight world because then she'll be attacked by straight men but she doesn't want to and she also doesn't want to appear feminine in the gay world because then she won't be attractive to the gay men
0: yeah it's it's kind of mind-bending in a way and she also mentions um here about how like she wonders how much her body's been shaped by men. Cause she says she, she like plays the game and she says she does it really well. She grows a beard. She like builds up her biceps and everything. And she's, she does a She works really hard to try to fit in um, and try to be this person that other people will find attractive basically. Hmm. Um, but it's at the detriment of her own identity because she's no longer expressing how she feels about that she, she, should, she should look and instead becoming something else.
1: Right, and this is in the, in the you section of the book where you, the, the outside world is still influencing how Shreya feels about herself. Absolutely.
0: This next quote is from a trans man who um, also perpetuates this kind of conformity that she, again, feels so uh, oppressive. She thought she had found someone who would be sympathetic and who would understand her journey. But in the end, when she turns him down for sex, he acts in a very familiar way and here's the quote
2: how foolish am i for believing that your support meant you were genuinely interested in my work that your transness made you superior to other men i had known it didn't prevent you from speaking dismissively about your girlfriend or my sexual desires under the assumption that you know what i want more than i do it didn't prevent you from using your power in the arts and trans communities to eventually push me into an obviously uncomfortable conversation
0: I mean it's a it's a tale as old as time it feels like. You know, you see this all the time with like pushy guys. It's like, "Oh, you know, like you don't want to have sex with me right now, but maybe later." You know, it's this kind of it's this uh constant like uh undermining of their own intentions, you know? Right. It's this That's nice guy thing where you're like, "Oh, if I'm just nice to them long enough, like, I'll be, you know, I'll play along and, you know, pretend to like you and and everything, but I'm really in here for only one reason. I only right. want one thing." Which, you know, again, it's just like being on the receiving end of that is so it, it feels so gross. And it makes you feel like what of like makes you feel like you're dumb or that you've done something wrong. When in fact it's this it's just the way that people act in a way. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's the real problem.
1: Well, that's uh, that's that's what I think the the purpose of this story in this is that it's not a you know, some people might argue that this is like men are biologically hardwired to do this. Sure. And um and this is really pointing out that this is a this is a trans man. So it's it this is the their masculine gender is this societally constructed. Yep. And they're following that social structure of who a man is and it's led them to become the same as all the other men who had who who act like this who you know are pushy and trying to get somebody to have sex with them and talk to them or like they talk down to them when they reject them and things like that and they don't accept rejection
0: yeah so. exactly it feels like the answer to this is or, or the reason why he acts this way is because he's trying to fit into that male mold right right he's trying to be a man and this is how men act and this is an example of like why that doesn't make sense like why is that a goal we should be striving for
1: this is one of the uh the aspects uh that our society has for men that makes that 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 is bad that we should drop that we shouldn't associate with this with men anymore yep um because it's hurting people
0: absolutely there's, there's a bunch of examples but these are two that i thought were expressed a very interesting to me And she draws the conclusion that it is men who cause her to be afraid. Of course, the world does not just contain men. And near the end of the book, uh, she also chastises women for being complicit in this world of fear. And I have another quote for you. It's a bit long.
2: And so I'm also afraid of women. I'm afraid of women who've either emboldened or defended the men who have harmed me or have watched in silence. I'm afraid of women who adopt masculine traits and then feel compelled to dominate or silence me at dinner parties. I'm afraid of women who see me as a predator and whose comfort I consequently put before my own by using male locker rooms. I'm afraid of women who have internalized their experiences of misogyny so deeply that they make me their punching bag. I'm afraid of the women who, like men, reject my pronouns and refuse to see my femininity, or who comment on or criticize my appearance, down to my chipped nail polish, to reiterate that I am not one of them. I'm afraid of women who, when I share my experiences of being trans, try to console me by announcing, welcome to being a woman, refusing to recognize the ways in which our experiences fundamentally differ. But I'm especially afraid of women because my history has taught me that I can't fully rely upon other women for sisterhood or allyship or protection from men.
0: You can see, like she she does such a good job of tying this all back into this masculine ideal in a way, a- and by using by talking about how women perpetuate that, she's also br- she's bringing in ba- basically everyone into this fold and saying like this is not just something that men do or it's not just the way that men act, right? This is something that we all strive for because we're all afraid of men and we all want to be. We all want men to be men, right? And for women to be women. And that would make more sense, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you you can see, like, these like there are people out there, and she gives plenty of examples uh, of women that, like, perpetuate this idea. There's a, like, in that groping story, right? She talks about how there was some of, one of her girlfriends that was at the uh, um, at the club with her, says it's a compliment like the grope like that guy groping you was a compliment and she's like doesn't feel like a compliment but it that's that's them like projecting their own you know fear of men onto shreya again
1: i mean that's why it's a we say it's a a social construct right it's it's not just it's everyone in society it's a a societal thing and i think we like to think that there's something natural about this and i think we'll talk about this in a little more later but we like to think there's something natural about this but it's really there's no biological reason why this has to be the case you know yes there's there's no like scientific reason it's all just a, a social thing and the goal here i guess part of the goal with the book is to change how society looks at uh you know people who don't fit in that binary
0: right it's exact, it's exactly right and it, it feels like it's, like, that's the thing that's so interesting, I think, about gender in general. It's such a powerful idea, and it's it's something that we all reinforce. It's something that I feel like I reinforce without even thinking about it. It's just something that we do because we think that's that's a thing. But the truth is that it's, like, it's, it's actually more complicated than that. And if we change the way we thought about it, it would change the way that people like looked it would change the way that people acted it would be something way more um, liberating than it, than it is currently and I think we'll get to that in just a second but I got one more quote for you uh, just to hit this home hit this out of the park
2: sexist comments intimidation groping violating boundaries and aggression are seen as merely typical for men but typical is dangerously interchangeable with acceptable boys will be boys after all
0: Again, this is, I think we'll talk a little bit more about this in a later section, but the concept of, of being a man or, or holding these masculine ideals largely revolves around these toxic ideas um, and largely hurt men just as much as they hurt other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, frustrating, <laughs> maybe is the word.
1: Right. And I like that part where she, where she says that typical is dangerously interchangeable with it interchangeable with acceptable yeah because just because we accept something just because it's a just because something happens doesn't mean that we have to accept the way it is we have this we have gender and we have sex and these are two different concepts um, of most most people have uh, or like people who who study these things have seen that there's a difference between someone's biological sex and someone's gender
0: when you say sex do you mean what do you mean by that
1: i mean so so there are these characteristics that we associate with biology okay. um such as like your your what sex uh, organs you have um and your chromosomes and your your hormones and um the studies the recent the re- more recent studies but really studies going back to like the 80s even show that um there's no one characteristic. There's no one biological characteristic that determines someone's biological sex, like male or female. Hmm. So most people who study these things, uh, say that sex is a bimodal, meaning that it's not binary. You're not just a woman or just a man, that there's people who are in between those areas. Um, because there are people who have, you might think that chromosomes is the way uh, to identify, but there are people who have, uh, X, X chromosomes who, uh, are, who look male who seem very masculine and uh, people with xy chromosomes who like even doctors when they're born like they will see this this baby who has xy chromosomes and they will say that's a that's a woman hmm. um so there's all and then there's all sorts of there's xxy and there's all sorts of different ideas um with the right. chromosomes
0: so that's the thing it's like the law of large numbers right like you get any sort of thing as complicated as evolution or biology like you're going to have some you're going to have some gray areas you know yeah if it was if there's 100 people then maybe you could divide them into two groups but there's 7 billion alive right now and you know tens of billions before us the, the idea that every single one of those is going to fit into one of two categories is is silly when you're looking at scales that big.
1: And and the thing is you most people have not had a chromosome test. And so right. it's totally possible that any that me or you could have XX chromosomes or not have XY chromosomes and we wouldn't know unless we got a chromosome test. Right. And so using chromosomes as a way of separating into a binary is not useful because that doesn't happen. Um and then there's people some people think about hormones but the hormones are also, we've seen many women with lots of testosterone, more testosterone than men and things like that. So there's really no one genetic marker that determines whether someone is male or female, but that's the biological aspect. And um, in society, we have have gender. Gender is a social aspect. And these things are, are somewhat connected some ways, but I think that they're not really as connected as we like to claim they are. And my theory for why we think that sex and gender are connected is because we kind of have this like tradition, especially in like America and like European cultures Mm -hmm. of like thinking that our culture and like our social norms are like scientific facts. (laughs) Like we think like, like we made up this concept of race and then we said, uh, this is a scientific fact that these people are different, even though the studies have shown that there's more diversity within a race than between races. Um, and we have, so we have all these constructs in our society, and we've kind of just been like, ah, oh, no, these aren't our social constructs. This isn't just uh, dependent on our culture. These are biological, you know, actual facts about the world. And I think gender is one of those things. It's like, man, this the gender of man and woman and those things are not tied to biology
0: Uh, i want to read this quote because it's i think it's going to kick off this conversation even more
2: i wonder what my life might have been like if my so-called feminine tendencies such as being sensitive or my interests such as wearing my mother's clothing or even my body had not been gendered or designated as either feminine or masculine at all despite the ways in which my gender felt enforced i sometimes miss elements of my masculine past like the thickness of my beard or the once impressive width of my biceps. Maybe this missing is mourning in disguise, for having to surrender aspects of my appearance I worked so hard to achieve. Or maybe I'm mourning a life I still don't get to fully live because it's one I continue to have to defend and authenticate. What if I didn't have to give up any characteristics, especially ones I like, to outwardly prove I am a girl? What if loving my truth now didn't immediately render everything that came before namely my manhood, a lie.
0: We were talking about this a few weeks ago, and I had never thought about it this way. And then even after i read this book, but gender as a concept is, is one of the most like useful ways we can identify people right now, because it tells you so much about a person. It tells you whether they can grow a beard. It tells you um, you know whether they have an Adam's apple. It tells that tells you whether they they're tend to be more stoic or more, um, uh, you know, what, what's the what's the word I'm thinking of? The opposite of that, more um, flamboyant. Flamboyant, sure. Uh, it tells you, you know, um, if they're gonna if they're likely to grow long hair or if they can have children or something. But the thing about that is that in every single one of those cases, um, there are exceptions. And your assumption about that person's gender leads you to assumptions about them as a person that you um, may be wrong about. Basically,
1: and, and those exceptions are are not just like single outliers. Like there are mass, uh, Massive amounts of people who don't fit that. There yes, there are plenty of women, people who who identify as women who cannot give birth.
0: Right. Yes, and. and I think we use gender as this way to uh, define people and, to, and like check off all these boxes about a person. Say, okay, they're male, therefore all of these things are true, right? The fact that there are so many people that don't fit into those categories and don't fall into those lines tells you so much, tells you that this is not actually that useful as a heuristic. It's, 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 and it does actually a lot more harm because you're expecting someone to act a certain way or to be a certain way, and, they, and when they don't, it causes you to have some sort of dissidence i think right. this is something that i feel like i discovered like later in my life um what i remember somebody asking me in like sixth grade like there's some some sort of like 20 questions thing were like uh, something about like let's just ask each other like these questions from this book or something one of them was what is the first thing you notice about a person and i was thinking about it for a, a little bit and i said i think the first thing i notice about someone is their gender and and then later on as i met like androgynous people i found myself distrustful of them and i think it's because i couldn't place them in one of those two boxes right and i and it took me a while to kind of reverse that and and to start thinking about thinking of gender as not actually that useful of a concept and to think of and start using it as like maybe it's a fact about you you know oh you're male that's cool but can you grow a beard? Like that's a different question. Right. It's a separate dimension. So it's a, um, I, I really like this. I really like what she talks about here about how, she had to sacrifice one thing for the other. But what if she was both of those things? Like, why does she have to fit so rigidly into those boxes? You know, why can't she be a woman who grows a beard or um, a, a man who wears makeup or, or any of the any of these things? You know.
1: Right. And the and the reason isn't it doesn't have anything to do with like a, a biological fact or anything like that. It doesn't have anything to do with like a real thing. It's something that we could change. It could be possible that we accept that there are women who have beards. Yes. Um, and we could, just like we accept now that there are women who cannot give birth. Like we don't say that just because you can't give birth that you're not a woman or, and we, the same thing for men. We don't say that just because you can't grow a beard that you're not a man. Um,
0: right, but even that like is, is, It's still restrictive because it's like, oh, you're not a what? You know, because we're thinking in these terms of like, okay, because you're one of these things, you must have all these other things associated with you, right? right? If if I see someone with a beard, then I automatically assume they're a man, and there I automatically assume that they have a penis and that they uh, are emotionally unavailable. You know, like it. Right. You make you jump to all these conclusions. Again, it's a heuristic. It, It can be useful to make these snap decisions, but it's not actually. it actually does a lot more harm than good in, in all these cases because it, what you're doing is you're restricting people to a certain way of life, basically. And you're saying, this is the only way. It can only be this way. And because gender holds this sway over so many different characteristics, it um, it restricts many of the different dimensions in which you could express yourself.
1: Right, and, I, and I, I try to think of, like, a really good way. I've been trying to think of a really good way to, like, say this succinctly but there's nothing that you learn about a person by asking them what their gender is except for what their gender is right you don't learn like if you want to know if someone is capable of uh, having a child then just ask them if they're capable of having a child (laughs) if you don't if you feel like that's too personal of a question then why are you trying to figure that out anyway (laughs) and if you want to know if you want to know if someone is attracted to you, just ask if they're attracted to, to you. Right. Like, you doesn't have to be like, are you attracted to men? And then, therefore, you're attracted to me? Yes. It's like, <laughs> they might be attracted to men and not or, attracted to you. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> or the other way around. Right. Um, yes, there's another there's quote from that uh, YouTube video from Indigo Chapters. Uh, this is an interview with uh, Shreya. She says, actually, you don't know anything about someone until they tell you. Right. Um, Yes. I think this is such a powerful idea. I, I like that idea that where it's like, let's stop trying to identify people using their gender and start identifying them by other attributes of them, you know? Right. You know, and, and suddenly people become so much more beautiful and complex because it's like, Oh, like you know, it's like, I'm thinking like character creation for like a video game or something like you can mix and match all these different things. Whereas like, you know, the, the way that our society works now it's like male or female like pick one and then you you're restricted to these things right. you know and obviously there's you know lots of leeway there and i think that's proof that these characteristics these uh categories are not as useful as we pretend they are
1: and and whether you agree or not that that these categories should be that we should get rid of these categories or or not it's too late uh, you it's people are already identifying as men, who have female sex organs. Right. And so, it whether you whether you agree with that or not, you're still stuck with the fact that when you ask them if they're a man, you still don't know if they if they have a vagina or not.
0: Yes. There's a podcast I listened to called Behind the Bastards, and he when he's talking about there's one he talked about uh this orgasm doctor or something this guy that would, like. was an expert in orgasm female orgasms or something turns out he was you know some sort of like crazy doctor who was killing people um but he would often refer to the people in the story as people with uteruses which like at the time felt a little clunky right it's like instead of saying women he says people with universes but i understood exactly what he was trying to do in that moment right he's describing the people in the story he's not just and that one important attribute about them at that moment, which right. is whether they have universities or not. It feels like that may be a little clunky, but I think that's just a, a, um, a failure of our language. We have to invent new words for these things so that we can say them more easily, I guess. And what that does is it creates new opportunities for new ways to describe people, I think. Right. It, it's. I think because like, our very language like restricts the way we can describe people. And it tells us so much and it, it tells us that gender is this important thing. Um, but it doesn't and it doesn't allow for that much conformity, which I think is a, like why we have to keep pushing in that direction and start using um, using the attributes we want to describe at that moment right And then from there expand the language into new words that we can use to describe people in more colorful ways. right. Yeah. I... Basically, I'm saying we need new words. I want new words. We'll we'll make up a word. I like it? words. I, I'm trying a uterine. That does not feel good. Not good. <laughs> Don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to move to the next section? Sure. So this is, this is something she kind of says offhand, but this is in the transition between the you section and the me section. Um, she, she says this.
2: I'm also afraid that the most prevalent response these stories will elicit is pity. Even worse, I'm afraid of the necessity of eliciting pity in order to generate concern or to galvanize change.
0: And then another quote uh, a little later on.
2: Why is my humanity only seen or cared about when I share the ways in which I have been victimized and violated?
0: So she talks about her experience um, uh, giving like sensitivity classes, basically, talking to different people about the ways they can interact more healthily, like how they can be good allies, basically. And she says that these are always more effective when I talk about all the ways that I've been violated, mm-hmm. um, and and she like decries that. But of course, she she adheres to that in this book because the first part of the book is about all these different ways that she she has been violated by different men, and then she transitions into how you know how that shaped her life, basically. But I think this um, this concept of pity is such a um, is such a I don't even know. I'm having a hard time describing some of these things. Again, we need new words. Um, (laughs) I think we might already have them. We already have the words. I'm just (laughs) bad with them. (laughs) But This concept of pity is such an interesting one because it makes you realize just how far you have to push someone to make them care, especially people of privilege. right? And I think that's a, a really good lesson to take away from this. How far does it have to go for you to do something about it? You know what I mean? Like do you have to wait for someone you know to be raped in order for you to start caring about women's issues? Do you have to start do you have to wait until you know a trans person who has been like turned away from someplace because they were trans, you know, or like like shunned in a bathroom or something because they didn't express the gender identity that was on the door? You know, like is that enough for you to act? It what it what, it, what she's really kind of saying is like people look for excuses not to act and mm-hmm. to not do things about that. I feel like I'm definitely a victim of this as well. I definitely look for excuses to to say everything's fine and I'm okay. Right. Um. But it it's interest. Like I think it's interesting, and I think it's kind of tragic that it takes so much for, to motivate people to care. Right.
1: You can. I mean, you could show people the data and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, but really, until you know somebody or you are somebody who's been a victim that way, it feels like it's almost. Imp- Impossible to get somebody to change their mind and we see this like in every identity like every identity group. That's marginalized yes uh, It was it's so hard for a white person to have any idea What it feels like to actually experience like racism that black people experience and it's 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 almost I mean It's it's basically impossible to have that experience Because we're white like we are already okay. We have the privilege And so to us looking at, we hear like somebody complain about like how somebody pinched her, pinched Shreya in a, in a club and we're like, well, I mean, that's not a big deal. One pinch isn't a big deal, but it's like that combines with all of the other experiences. And it's like, and and eventually you kind of, it kind of hits you and you're like, her life is not at all like my life. Yes.
0: Yes. I think, I think we can catch glimpses of that but we never experience it fully, you know? I think it's something like you said with your nails, right? It's something that you may experience kind of tangentially or get a small glimpse of it. Uh, It's something that, like you said, you'll never fully be able to experience because you just are fundamentally a different person, basically. And you live in a different world where people treat you differently. Yeah, I think think it's also a really good point and something I was just thinking about was that all these stories are so normal that's one of the other things I really love about this book is that these experiences are would be are not strange or really like that unusual, right? They are unusual for someone like me because like stuff like this has never happened to me. But for anyone who shares any of Shreya's attributes, any of her, any of the groups that she's in, this is a part of daily life. You know? Yeah,
1: I was I was thinking that when when you were reading the quote is uh is that like. All of these if a trans person was to read this book I feel like they would learn very little <laughs> I think they would be like yeah I, why is this even why do you need to write about this I this is I learned this like when I first came out you know like this is obvious to me
0: I don't know I don't know if I totally agree with that because I think that the conclusion she dra- reaches is still really radical because I think she she takes this thing that everyone acts like is normal and says this is not okay anymore right you know and that's something, that was like the thing that was so powerful about it to me. And I think for other people as well, I think any person who reads it, I mean, on the cover of the book, it says everyone, this is a book for everyone, which I think is a kind of a funny juxtaposition between I'm afraid of men and this book is for everyone. Right. But um, it's its definitely true. I think any person who is alive, who's on either side of this, you know, alternate reality will gain something from this because they will realize, because what she's saying is so obvious that the world we've, we live in is constructed, and it's constructed by men, and it makes lots and lots of people's lives worse. So,
1: Okay, so here's another quote uh, to keep going here.
2: I'm afraid of the ways in which the threat of violence from men has shaped or even damaged my sexuality. How many sexual desires and fantasies are formed out of potential or actual male violence? Or rather, to what extent is sexuality shaped and constrained by childhood experiences of male violence? What might desire feel like if the construction of sexuality didn't take place in tandem with childhood experiences of violence for men?
1: What I think is interesting about this quote is that it brings in violence into sexuality. Mm. So we're, we're talking about how our society like pressures us and shapes us in, in certain ways. Uh, but one of the ways that it shapes us is not just like, you know, social pressure, but actual violence. Like Shreya outlined some experiences where she experienced like actual violence, like people hitting and spitting on her and like, like violently yelling and things like that. And, um, there's a whole, I mean, many women have had these experiences where they're shaped by, by violence. And, Shreya asks, like, how does that violence, like, shape the way that we feel about men? Like, are we attracted to that? Is that violence, like, become attractive to us because we associate violence with men? Um, or and like, is that because of their social construction? Are we like, we get naturally attracted to violence or something like that? <laughs> this, so it's like, uh this is kind of just so interesting to me because it's like, how how are my sexual experiences and like how are how are everyone's sexual experiences shaped by that there's like a whole community out there that's interested in like violence during sex
0: there's this concept i keep coming across that i don't really know how to best describe but it's it's this idea that like uh, i, I me see if i can give you like an analogy so imagine there's like a like there's a company that's spewing toxic muck into a forest or something Mm -hmm. right and it's doing this for years and suddenly suddenly there's this new life form that appears in the toxic muck right and it's like ah yes toxic muck this is the place for me right and it thinks that all of this toxic muck is great you know this is where i lived this whole life eventually these toxic muck creatures realize that the toxic muck is actually kind of bad for them and it's actually damaging a lot of the environment around them and therefore damaging them but they think, oh, well, we can't do that because we're part of this. This is where it's always been. We've always, It's always been like this, mm-hmm. you know, and therefore it must be right because we came from it, we grew up in it, you know, we evolved inside of it. Therefore, it must be have some sort of value or virtue. Right. I don't know if that gets across what I'm trying to say. But the idea is that I think at a certain level, we, we, the people, people who are alive today are kind of broken in a way where it may be true that people are attracted to violence because it's associated so closely with masculinity. And that's something that, it's just a cycle that we end up having to break basically. But at a certain point, it's like, maybe it's just too late for us. You know, maybe this is just something that's just, you know, true about the people. We're a subject to our own conditioning, right? Maybe this is not the way that things have to be, but maybe this is the way that everyone thinks and everyone's been been taught to think to the point where it's ingrained in you so deeply that it's something that you just inherently value
1: yeah i, I mean that's like a, i think we can think of examples uh, in actual history of situations like you're talking about like like almost every civilization early civilization grew out of like a monarchy like yeah. they were all early monarchies and for a long time it seemed like if you read right like political like scholars and stuff of the past they are defending this idea of monarchy Mm -hmm. before before liberalism existed and they like defend like people were like oh we need democracy and they would defend it monarchy and be like no you can't trust people normal people to live their lives (laughs) like decide how they live and like that penetrated our lives so much like it just seemed like I'm sure to a person back then, it just seemed like monarchy was the inevitable way of civilization.
0: Right. And the thing that I think is important is like uh, to, to keep in mind is that somebody did this on purpose kind of thing. You know, maybe this was kind of a thing that we just kind of collectively kind of decided. But it like the decision to have a monarchy or decision to dump toxic muck into the uh, into the forest, or the decision to like have have men associated with violence was at some point just a decision that somebody made a long time ago,
1: and it was useful. It was de- it was the decision they made because it was useful either to that person or that group, right, at right. that time,
0: and. But it like the the unforeseen consequences of that you know years and years later were of course, were unforeseen, but you don't ever realize as a person who's as as a muck creature as someone who lives in the monarchy is that this isn't the only way it has to be, right, and that the way that you arrived at this situation doesn't necessarily mean that that is good in any other way
1: right and 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 we've we've clearly grown out of the this the situation where we need monarchies, yes, I don't think anyone today advocates for going back to monarchies because that type of civilization is obsolete we don't need that anymore yeah and i think that's that's kind of what what you're saying what shreya is saying with this is like is the violence that we associate with men is this concept of, of masculine violence where men are just inherently more violent that's no longer maybe in the past that was a useful construct um maybe in the past, but maybe. but clearly now it's hurting people and there's no reason to keep that around. There's no reason to associate masculinity with violence anymore. And so maybe we can disconnect those two concepts.
0: Exactly. Okay, I got a couple more things to go through. This one, um, she's talking about Nick, um, her significant other, and talking about, she's talking about how she reacted after he revealed that she, um, he had cheated on her. And at this point, that, that he was like the only, he was the last good man, basically. She told all of her friends and everything. And all of her friends kind of looked up to Nick as like the last bastion of, of goodness um, from men. And I have this, uh, this quote here.
2: Looking back, I regret telling Nick that he wasn't special. I also regret all the times in our relationship that I told him he was a good man. I regret this not because he isn't a good man, but because good is a nebulous standard, and our desire for something that can't really be measured outside of religious teachings and morality only sets us up for disappointment, and sets up every gender for failure. And then she goes on to say, The good man is a fiction.
0: um, I really like this idea. Uh, because i think it's something that i hear a lot and something that i see a lot It's like oh you're one of the good ones or like you're a you're you're a good man or something like that but she goes on to talk about how the bar for goodness is literally so low mm-hmm. like it is like it's basically not cheating on your partner right it's not abusing your partner it, it's it's something so low and yet men barely clear it and yet if you i think the the dichotomy here is like if you break that mold in any way. If you aren't a a good man in anything, you're as bad as one right. of these other people. It's, right? an,
1: it's another binary yes. that we've set up within the binary we already have. That right. There's good men and bad men.
0: Right. And it's such a... Um, it, it becomes this insidious thing for exactly the way she, she has um, described it because it's so hard to define and you put this person on this pedestal and say, you have to be all of these things for me now, right? And that was what I thought was so interesting, too, is when she was talking to her friends and saying, and all of her friends are like, oh, Nick is such a good guy or whatever. And when he falls from grace, it's so, he has so much further to fall because he's being held up by all these other people too, right? Mm-hmm. And all these other people are putting all their hope in him for some reason, even though he's just a person just like Shreya is, right? He happens to be a little bit more empathetic than the other people in her story, but he's, he's no different than any other person and, you know, and to put him to put him on this pedestal to say that he is a good man does him a disservice because it doesn't see him as he is. It 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 defines him under this nebulous term.
1: Right. And and like you said, the, the standard for that is so is so low. Yeah. I mean, you just like she praises him because he uses the correct pronouns that yes. she asked him to. And it's like, literally all he did was just change which words he, like, he it's just so, it's, said it's a different It's so word. funny
0: to me. I mean, I mean, it's funny, but in like a really sad way. She talks about how she helped somebody in the kitchen, like one of her uh girlfriends in the kitchen once, and all of the women were like, oh my God, he, you know, Shreya, you're such a good person. Vivek, you're such a good person. Like, you're, your mother must love you, you know? Right. It's like, I didn't do anything. I'm just doing the thing that would make me more comfortable. Like you don't understand how I'm just.
1: Like, I'm just helping you. I'm like, just helping I'm doing you. the thing that the normal person should do. And
0: how the other men reacted in that situation, where they were trying to drag um, him at the time back into the um, into like the fold with them, right? Because right. they saw her as a man and were like, "Well, if he's acting this way, then uh, I maybe I should get off my ass," you know, like it. It her like just trying to be more comfortable in a more comfortable situation threatened these other men's like complacency.
1: Right. There's actually like a concept in teaching of, of holding all your students to the same standard. Mm. Like uh, that's one way to create equity is that there's kind of this history in teaching of like you hold like teachers will hold their minority students to a different standard than their, than their like white students. And they'll be like, and they'll be like, oh well, you know, they come from a bad family, you know, like they don't, they're they're an orphan or something like that. The, I don't expect as much out of them, and that's actually considered like not not good teaching practice, Because no. you're holding them to a different standard, and so therefore they're going, the kids are going to meet your expectations, and in the same way, men are going to meet your expectations. So if you have, if you want to to be in a relationship with a man, don't hold them to, you know these standards of like this basic decency hold them to the standards that you want of a person you want to be in a relationship with
0: exactly and and she she says um reflecting on the broader picture of nick uh in our relationship i had a choice i could either mourn the loss of the idealized man i had thought nick was which was somehow rendered me both powerless and at fault a victim of my own imagination or i could see nick for who he is dependable devoted and also fallible yeah, it's it's a more complicated like way to see someone basically. Right. Pretty cool. Okay. I got one more thing. This one's a little more heavy, I think. This is the this is another quote and I'll talk about how I feel about it.
2: The disdain for women and femininity is insidious, infecting even those who profess to love women, and it takes many forms.
0: So, I'm heterosexual. I I love women. I've loved women my whole life. But <laughs> yeah, just I'm also Macklemore, by the way. <laughs> um, but it's embarrassing to admit, but and so not until basically recently, like like within the last year or so, that I've kind of like switched the way I think about women. I think I've always put women on this pedestal and said that women are different than me. When I was younger, that was something that like took the form of kind of a, a misogynistic view where I was like, men, women are more like, emotional or something. Right. Or, you know, women can't do certain things that like the way that men can or something later on that, that, like that view evolved into women or men are, are equal, but not identical. like, women are still these like kind of magical creatures that like it's hard to touch or something Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't say i was like a nice guy necessarily i wasn't like oh like i have to put in my chips into this person and then they'll give me sex or something i I really i treated women as if they were my equal right but i didn't think of women that way i thought of them as something different than me Mm -hmm. and it's not until it is not until recently really that i kind of like that switched my mind and i when I look at a woman, I stop seeing I, I have stopped seeing what's their gender and started seeing them as a person. And I still think I kind of fall back on that old way of thinking you know now and then, but it's something that has like fundamentally changed the way I see gender because I stopped seeing people as you know potential sexual partners basically and as people basically. And it, it's it's changed the way that I like interact with other people and changed the way like I ex- the expectations I have for other people. What I think is interesting too is like, I've kind of always thought this way that like if there's a woman that I've met who I find friendly who I'm not sexually like attracted to, I never view them in that way. And in a way, they go into this other category, right? But it's but doing that all that does is does them does them a disservice and does me a disservice because suddenly I'm not like I'm not treating them as if I want the way I want to be treated. I'm treating them how I think they want to be treated, basically. Right. And this is something that Jenny. Um, who's been reading our quotes, by the way? Um, shout out to Jenny. Go, Jenny. Um, definitely not put that in post. That's definitely happening live. Um, <laughs> she's definitely <laughs> right here. Say hi, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. What <laughs> she, what something she said is like she, she loves the Bachelor, and she, and one of the things that Claire, one of the re, more recent Bachelor bachelorette, says, is I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for a man who does this. I'm looking for a man who has these qualities or something. And she says I find that so. Like, I, I find that so weird. Like, I don't like the, the term. Like, I, when I look, when she says, she says, when I look at you, Joey, I see you as my person, not as my man, mm-hmm. you know. And when she said that, I, I think I, I also realized I was feeling that same way about her. She's, you know, I think I would be in love with her whether she was a woman or not, you know, because I'm in love with her as a person. Right. And, like, that is such a fundamental shift for me. And it feels so obvious saying it out loud. But it's something that took me a really long time to realize and something that I think I'll probably still fall back on and still make mistakes about in the future. I, you know, it's, Again, it's that it's that it's privilege in a way you can you can make those mistakes and it doesn't mean anything to you, you know, but it means everything to other people.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, people are going to hear you say that and they're going to say like, oh, like he said that he didn't see women as equal until... Until just recently, until 2020, <laughs> but it's like, but the the thing is that it's the whole of society. Not the, I guess that sounds bad, but like, a lot of society is built around convincing you that that's the case.
0: Exactly, it, exactly. All my media, everything I have, like movies and TV shows and stuff, have I've always taught me that's the way things are, right? And, and it's not until I you know interact with real people that that actually right. changes and. And that I get a more nuanced understanding. And I think, like, I feel like I came to that conclusion before I was reading this book, but it was something that really reinforced it for me, that this idea that, like, like, gender is not that useful as a concept, and that gender is something that doesn't tell you that much about a person. And it's also something that, like, is insidious, and it infects the way you see the world. And it it causes you to act in a way that wouldn't necessarily be right. I think what's so complicated about this is that if if someone had asked me, you know, are men and women equal or do women deserve the same rights as men or any question like that, you know, in the last, you know, how old am I? In the last, you know, 10 to 12 years, I would have said, of course, yes, of course. You know, I would have, I would have said all of the right things. But what I didn't even realize was that I wasn't thinking that way. You know, I wasn't actually internalizing it the, in the way that I was saying I was. Right. And- it wasn't that I was resistant to that idea. It was that I didn't even realize I had that idea as one of my own.
1: It was like just something that you all is like a something you always had in the back of your mind. Right. That, that I you, never questioned. Right. It's a it's like the that's like the the toxic swamp that we yeah that we live in that we don't even realize is there. Yes. You know, the I there's a quote, I can't remember who said it, but uh it goes, I don't know who discovered water, but it wasn't a fish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. It it takes someone who's kind of an outsider like Shreya to really kind of pinpoint this. I think that's why she's able to do such a good job of dissecting this, I think. It's because she's seen it from both sides and she's seen it in all the different ways it interacts with her. It's not something that you or I would ever be able to write because it's not an experience we've ever been able to see. But by reading this, we kind of get a glimpse of that and can maybe alter the way that we think.
1: Yeah, and I think that the key the key thing is here that Shreya doesn't like like qualify this at all. She says the disdain for women and femininity. Like she's saying that like our society hates women. Yeah, um, and like it it hurts to say that, but you you really kind of get a feeling that it's true when you look at all the the data and the statistics about like who is the victims of violence and Mm -hmm. who and who are the people that we tell um need to change their their actions it's not it we say like we want to stop rapes and stuff but how do we solve that we tell women to change what they do we tell women to stay inside we tell women to to dress differently um and we don't we don't confront the fact that it is it has been men who have the problem it's not the women and because because i think it's partially because in the back of our minds we have this idea that it's women who are who are the bad
0: ones right it, it, it's something wrong with them well i think it's something like it's this idea that men are the default and women are something else I right think. It, it's this it's like there's something different about them and they're not fitting into this picture or they're not fitting into the mold that i think they should fit into you know mm-hmm. and it um I think that actually holds a big sway over people more than I think people even realize.
1: You see it when you when women are empowered, like you see it when like Cardi B and Megan Trainer, yeah. or not Megan Trainer, Megan The Stallion, uh, <laughs> sing songs about having sex and how much they like to have sex, and that to us, to some people, uh, they don't like that because that's women doing things that we associate with with men Mm -hmm. we associate men who always thinking about sex men are the ones who always want to have sex you know they they think about sex every 10 seconds it's like it's like no women like to have sex too like sex can be fun for both (laughs) because
0: men and women are essentially the same thing like that's the thing It's like you know it you you try to say oh women think this way or men think that way or something but it that the only way the only reason that it is true that there's a difference is because we've decided there's a difference and that we're reinforcing that difference. It's not because there's something fundamentally different about the way they think or anything. It it, it that's only true because we've forced them to think differently, because right. we force them to be aware of the dangers that are constantly around them, which is something that men never have to deal with.
1: And I apologize to Megan Thee Stallion for calling her <laughs> Megan Trainer.
0: That is the worst thing. Yes,
1: I'm Truly embarrassed. <laughs> I hope Joey cuts it out.
0: I'm not gonna know. I'm gonna play it over and over again.
1: <laughs> Hardy B and Megan Trainer, or yeah. me, not Megan Trainer. Megan Trainer. <laughs> me, 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 Megan Trainer. Megan Trainer. It's embarrassing. <laughs>
0: um, it reminds me of this. Uh, after I watched The Witcher, I read this uh, review by this like conservative. I don't know, a uh, TV reviewer or something. And he was talking about one of the characters who's a woman like going into battle and leading her army into battle with a sword. And he's like, this is so unrealistic. You know, a, a sword like that, women's bodies can never hold something like that. Like, it's it's too heavy or something. I just don't believe it. And I'm like, this is a." Have you watched the rest of the show? There's goblins and elves (laughs) and like, like dragons and all sorts of crazy monsters in this show. Like, like you really don't have the imagination to believe that a woman can't lead her army into battle. This idea that she can't hold a sword or something. And
1: and also is isn't the actor doing that? Yes, that actor a woman doing that exact thing. (laughs) I don't know,
0: man. (laughs) It's very uh... no. It's it it really is like this lack of imagination that, and that's something that I really liked about the way she concludes this book is she's like she's challenging you to imagine a world that's better you know a world that could break down these barriers and help people express themselves more fully and to let people feel safe in their own bodies um and, and it really is this like i i think it's like i wouldn't say it goes as far as trippy but it's this you know it's kind of this mind-altering idea in a way because it really does shake something that you hold very dear to you, which is gender, to its core and asks you, you know, is that really something that's not important to you? Look at all the ways we could be better.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think, so like the last questions in the book, the book ends with these questions. It says, but your fear is not only hurting me, it's hurting you, limiting you from being, from being everything you could be. Consider how often you have dismissed your own appearance, behaviors, emotions, and aspirations for being too feminine or masculine. What might your life be like if you didn't impose these designations on yourself, let alone me? What if you were to challenge yourself every time you feel afraid of me, and all of us who are pushing against gendered expectations and restrictions? What if you cherished us as archetypes of realized potential? What if you were to surrender to sublime possibility, yours and mine? might you then free me at last of my fear and of your own?
0: Love that. (laughs) I love that last line. That's a great way to end a book. It definitely is. And a great way to end this podcast, unless you have anything else you want to say?
1: No, that's great.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, I'm going to thank you for being here, Ben. I really appreciate it. I I really liked reading this book as many times as I had. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm glad we can talk about this stuff. Um, So I'm going to go through our plugs. So we have this podcast. You can find it on itunes or wherever you get your podcast from spotify google play other podcast things there i assume there are other ones out there i don't know i've heard of them um if wherever you listen to us leave us a review because it really does help us grow you can also reach us on twitter on instagram and on tiktok all of those are at affable chat tiktok tiktok that's right you haven't seen our tiktok we have a viral tiktok oh my gosh yes oh
1: you told me i think you were telling me about that
0: i mean we i mean Benjamin talked about it for about three weeks straight, so I don't know how... Viral TikTok. Viral TikTok. So just check out Affable Chat. That's where we are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Or you can send us an email at affablechat@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel where sometimes we upload uh, episodes of the podcast and other unpodcast podcast related things. Um, and we're also live on Twitch every Tuesday night at 7 p.m so come check us out there and benjamin will be on screen playing games or talking about the minimum wage or whatever he wants to talk about that week the
1: the the real benjamin
0: The real benjamin you are the imposter benjamin i'm fake benjamin (laughs) 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 okay well thank you again ben for being here
1: thanks for having me on this was fun
0: and thank you for listening